It's the 11 Dubcast. It's Michigan week. I'm not going to dwell on the past. I mean, we're going to dwell on the past a little bit, but it's Michigan week, and that's more important than anything. That is that is the you know that is the ultimate concern for us right now. I am John Ginner. I am Michael Citro, and it is hate week. It is hate week, and we can be sad about the Michigan State loss. That's fine. I we're am, allowed to be sad, sad, and we can talk about how it sucked. But this is hate week. This is Michigan week. This is let's go like you know deep pants. Those khakis right off of Jim Harbaugh week. No. You know, this is Let's Make Ann Arbor Cry week. And I don't want to waste too much time dwelling on a very stupid loss. But we'll I'll, I'll allow us a few minutes, and then we can get into it. So let's, let's complain, and then let's actually talk about why we're here. So Michigan State, that was awful mm-hmm. uh, yep. in a lot of ways. Yep. Uh, the worst offensive output by an Ohio State team since, what, like 2004, I think it was? It, like it was it was pathetically bad, and it bordered on uh, malpractice by the offensive coaching staff. <laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty god awful. And it's what's what's frustrating is you know you put in J T. Barrett, you think that's going to fix the offense, and the truth of the matter is is that J T. Barrett, and again he didn't look great. I mean, even on the opportunities that they did give him, you know, really he did not take full advantage of. But he's not going to look good when you don't give him an opportunity to do what he does best, which is distribute the ball, and he didn't do any of that. I mean, I think he passed like twice in the second half, something like that. Or, yeah, I don't remember what it was. That's how many times they gave Zeke the ball in the second half. Yeah, it was, another it, it was ridiculously conservative uh, game. Now, it's okay. I get it. They have a good defense, and I get that the weather sucked, and I get that we were backed up in our own end a sure. lot of things. But the bottom line is – if you know, the the definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing and expecting a different outcome. And right. they kept just banging their head into the strength of Michigan State's defense, which is the front seven. They, yeah, and they try, they try to go, you know, horizontal on them a lot, which is like, why would you do that? They have an incredibly fast linebacking core. Their defensive ends, of course, are amazing. Like, why would you bother to run right at them? Like, that didn't make no sense. Oh, and if you're going to run right at them, use your best weapon and your best play. Sure. And they didn't right. do that. They they did basically everything you should not do against Michigan State. And they didn't do any of the things you should do, which is attack a secondary that has a has this defense ranked 68th in the in the nation against the past. Right, um, which I believe Minnesota just lit up. Right, like I don't understand why you like you have to have some kind of confidence. Nebraska again, threw on them, Johnny. Nebraska. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And and, that, and that's what I'm saying. Like you have to have some kind of confidence that your wide receivers, and granted, are they the best core? Are they the what they had last year? No. no they didn't look but good. You have, I mean, to, dro- you have to at least try. They dropped some passes when, when Barrett did make some throws. But, right. you know, you remember last year, you know, Michael Thomas uh, caught a slant, took it to the house at uh, East Lansing. Right. Did we even right. try a slant all night? I don't remember no. ever seeing a slant attempted, and I don't know if it's because they were taking it away and the, so they were altering the routes or if they yeah. just didn't even occur to them to maybe try that. Right, and it's it was really bad play calling. I don't want to put the entire loss on that, but when you're constantly like three and outs, like over and over and over, I mean, it's not, it's just not conducive, and especially at home, which is what's really crazy to me that you would expect some kind of confident advantage where you're like, okay, we're gonna try some stuff out. We've got the crowd on our side, and the defense for its part was playing very well most of the night. I mean, you could tell they were wearing down towards the end of the game, but. You've got to you've got to give your defense a chance by allowing them to get off the field for at least a couple of breathers before you give the ball up again. Yeah, it was it, um, it was the difference in the second half down the stretch because the defense was too tired to stop the running plays. Yeah, 
Right, and that's exactly it. And, you know, to their credit, Michigan State had an excellent game plan. Their backup quarterbacks played brilliantly, right? Like, you think Connor Cook's out, and you're like, all right, this is going to be a cakewalk. And then they they played really, really well. They were throwing some excellent passes. Mm -hmm. Um, So, again, I don't want to take anything away from Michigan State. They played well. They They played about as well as they could play, I think. Yeah, they played extremely well. Mark D'Antonio is an excellent coach, probably the most underrated coach in the United States. I mean, he he constantly has his teams play at a high level against very tough opponents, and he often wins those games. So, you know, I wrote about this, like, right after the game. I mean, you know, barring what happens with Harbaugh, I mean, who knows what's going to happen in the next several years with him. But right now, Mark D'Antonio is the toughest rival for uh, Ohio State. Now, is he the rival? Is is the emotional baggage there? Is the you know the the end of year momentum there? No, but Mark D'Antonio is such a good coach, and Michigan State right now is such a good program. Um, they're really threatening Ohio State for the top dog in the Big Ten right now. They they really are. And and the the other thing is when I saw what, how the schedule played out this year with having to go Michigan State, Michigan back to back, I was a bit worried about that because the you know playing back to back the two toughest games in, on your schedule is it's problematic uh, yes, and then, it's, especially it's, then it's, if you're going to be asked to if you win those games then go into the into the, the conference championship game but the fact right. that Michigan is better this year actually I think helped Michigan State quite a bit because I think it took some of that you know that forest is right there but, but I can't <laughs> see that tree because I'm looking at right. the forest which is at the end of the season right exactly uh, I right, think yeah. that was part of it and you know, I think just everybody's frustrated. I mean, obviously we're we're going to talk uh, a little bit with our guest later about Ezekiel Elliott being frustrated, but the the fact mm-hmm. of the matter is, when you have your best player touch the ball eight times on your first touchdown drive and four times the entire rest of the game combined, that is criminally negligent. <laughs> I, there's no other word for it. It's just criminally negligent. You just didn't try. Uh, yeah, that was yeah. I don't know. It's criminally negligent. Criminal. But it's pretty. <laughs> Somebody should be brought up on charges, and um, you know I'm sure Urban would step in front of that that uh, you know jump on that yeah. grenade. And Urban did. He jumped on that grenade for Tim Beck after the game and said he called a lot of those plays. But the fact of the matter is, this week he said in his uh, press conference that he'd be more involved. So if you were already calling a bunch of plays and now you're going to be more involved, what does that mean? Well, it means he was standing up for his guys Warren or Beck. And I think since Beck's been doing more of the play calling, and since that looked really ridiculously like the Taylor Martinez last couple of years at Nebraska um, <laughs> play calling. I'm going to go with it was Tim Beck on this night. Yeah. I mean, that was a hire that I think a lot of people were excited about. Um, they were. And as, yeah, I think some people were, I mean, you look at, you know, some of the early Taylor Martinez, I mean, granted that dude regressed quite a bit right over his college career. But if you look at the first couple of years where things were kind of humming, I mean, that was a, that was a pretty potent offense. Um, but I don't think that Tim Beck has, has lived up to even the best parts of his resume. Um, can we find a yeah? I don't know. It, we, can we find it, a James Madison that needs a head coach next year? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, there's there's it's going to be an interesting offseason for coaching mm-hmm. to be sure, especially with like a lot of the midseason uh, departures and whatnot. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know what Urban's play is there. I mean, we, our our instinct right is to just say fire the guy, but. To me, I don't know if it's good management just to get rid of a dude after one season. On the other hand, maybe it warrants that. Maybe that, you know, when they do the reviews and the grading and stuff of the coaching at the end of the year, you know, who knows. But I will say this. So, you know, transitioning to the task at hand, mm-hmm. we have 
at least two more games ahead of us, right? So Tim Beck, if he's going to hold on to his job, assuming that it's in jeopardy, he has a couple of chances to make sure that he retains it. Mm -hmm. And this weekend against Michigan, against the only opponent that matters, it's going to be a pretty tall order. Michigan has an excellent defense, and they have been playing very, very well as of late, like incredibly well as of late. Mm -hmm. Uh, there have been some issues like, you know, with like, you know, rush, rush defense and things like that. But honestly, at the game in Ann Arbor, I think they're going to be very good. Um, so it's going to be up to, to Beck and, and Meyer and, and Warner to, to figure out a way to use these guys. Um, and the kind of the last hurrah, I mean, Braxton Miller, look at the way Braxton Miller has been used in the past several games. Like he's, he's been non-existent, mm-hmm. right? So well, that's, that to me is insane. So I, I, they've got to do something. They've got to figure something out. And, you know, <laughs> this is the week to do it. Well, I wrote about this this week about how if you can't throw the ball against Michigan State, how are you going to throw it against Michigan? Um, right, exactly. Michigan has the number one defense in the conference, both on the rush and pass side. Now, people are, yeah. people, are, people remember what Indiana did and say, oh, you can run on Michigan all day. Look what they did. That's right. behind an NFL left tackle. He will be playing yep. in the NFL and a very good running back. Now, Ohio State has a good running back and a good left tackle. But that was also their first game without uh, Glasgow on the defensive line, and they seem to have fixed that problem because they squashed Saquon Barkley against Penn State. Yes, they did. Uh, and he, and he Barkley is an excellent running back. Very good running back. And they actually, Penn State had a little bit, you know, going there with the run game with him. And Michigan State said no. Um, or Michigan said no. And I think they're they're going to be hard to run on, and they're going to have to loosen up that box by throwing the ball down the field, which is problematic when they got Jordan Lewis, who might be might be the conference's best uh, defensive back this year. Right. So they, they have to take shots. They have to try something. And... Look, I expected to see some of that against Michigan State. I expected to see them to do things that they hadn't done all year. Mm-hmm. Look, you've lost a game, all right? You're, ba- you're for all intents and purposes. I mean, granted, something crazy could happen. But I think, you know, as we actually look at it and, and try to think about it, uh, I do not see Ohio State getting back into the playoff picture. Um, so, I, look, you got to go for broke at this point, okay? If you do want to get back in the playoff picture, you got to kick the crap out of Michigan. I mean, you've got to destroy them. So pull out all the stops. Like, I don't understand, you know, the mentality of like, all right, we're going to hedge our bets and, and see what we can save for the next thing. You can't do that anymore. You've got to do everything in your power to look good and look like the team that I think people expected them to be at the beginning of the season, yeah. which they haven't yet. So, I, look, this is the game that matters. I don't really care what bowl they get into. Frankly, I don't even care about the Big Ten Championship anymore. I just want to see them beat the crap out of Michigan. That will make this season okay. That will make the loss uh, not feel as bitter because Michigan is the team. That's the people I want to beat on a regular mm-hmm. basis. And, frankly, now I really need it. So, yeah. Well, you know, you know, if you're like, old like me, that's the definition of a successful season. It's not yeah, how many it, games you won. It's did you beat Michigan. Right. Did you win the yeah. game? That's, that's what, you know, because, you know, a lot of people are, well, let's face it, they're spoiled as hell. And yes. they've been they've been you know growing up in the, the you know the Trestle and, and Meyer eras where you know it was not uncommon to be undefeated at the midseason mark and all that stuff. You know I grew up in an era where eight and four, nine and three, that was fairly common. Yeah. And so you know you're going to have a couple losses along the way. You don't want one of them to be to Michigan. Right. And you know so that's what the deal was. It was like then you go down to South and you play a Southern team uh, in a bowl game and you know. <laughs> And lose. So uh, that's, that's what I grew up with. So, you know, it, it's 
it's the only game that matters, really. And and right. now it is because, you know, unless Penn State decides they're not Penn State anymore or they're the Penn State of old and beats Michigan State, there's no chance to get back in the, in the national picture. Like you said, the only way Ohio State can get back in the national picture, only one way to do it is if they get to the Big Ten championship game, which means they need to win and, and have Michigan State lose, and then right. put a thumping on Iowa. And then maybe get a little help also, because I think it could happen, but it's, again, it's unlikely. I think this was the the national pundits that, you know, this is their opportunity. Ha ha, now we don't have to vote for them anymore because they're not undefeated. But uh, And that's fair. I mean, frankly, like, look, I mean, people have been kind of dogging on Ohio State all year because of their subpar performances. But you know what? When you come out and you lay an egg against Michigan State at home in a game that you were almost two touchdown favorites in, I mean, fine, we deserve that hit. And I want to see them come out this week angry. Like, you have to prove something. They haven't really proven anything all year. They need to prove it now. And, look, if this were against Brady Hoke, right, I'd be like, eh, we got this. eh, eh." But Jim Harbaugh is going to have them, like, spitting fire when they come out Mm -hmm. of that tunnel. Like, you cannot – I mean, and granted, Brady Hoke was able to get his teams pretty hyped to play Ohio State, and they definitely played us pretty close – with some squads that should never have been competitive <laughs> against some Ohio state teams. But Harbaugh is going to pull out all the stops for this. This is not, this is not Brady Hoke on the other side of the field. This is, this is a dude who I think truly understands this rivalry to the point that he understands that you can't just be emotional about it. You have to be good. Yeah. And I, I you have they to gotta be, tough. be, they gotta be ready. You have to be, they gotta be ready. You have to be not only, you, not only you have to be good, you have to be tough. And that's how you win right. the game is by out toughing the other team. And, you know, I want to see, talk about Harbaugh. I want to see Urban Meyer. I want to see the fire breathing Urban Meyer that, you know, isn't going to take crap from anybody. I want to see triple reverse passes. I want to see right. block punts. I want to see fake punts. I want to see, you know, throw the entire playbook, you know, just open it to any page and say that play, you know, Use it all. Use all of it. Yeah, and look, even if you lose, at least you'll have tried like every possible thing that you could have done. And that's and that's what's frustrating because I think that takes a lot of Ohio State fans back to a lot of the frustrating trestle losses, right? Where you're like, what? Why are you just doing the same thing over and over? Why are you allowing, uh, you know, like failure not to influence what you're doing? Like, yeah, it'll work eventually. Like, you can't do that. Yeah. You have to learn from your mistakes. And I don't think fans like it when they see something that's clearly not working, mm-hmm. but is continuing to be done over and over and over. So again, I agree with you. Let's it's Michigan, man. Like let's just throw everything out and see what happens because what's been done is not working to this point. Are you gonna so, go jump in Mirror Lake? No, I'm not gonna jump in Mirror Lake. <laughs> I'm not gonna jump in. No desire to do that. I'm a 30 year old man, Michael. <laughs> I uh, I did it twice. Yeah. I think I'm good. I'm not gonna jump in any lakes around here because it could get chomped on by a gator. But yeah. Also, isn't there that like bacteria or something or, or mitochondria or whatever that gets in your brain? Uh, amoebas, but not this time of year. The, amoebas, the water's yeah. it's starting to get cold down here. I mean, you know, yeah. Florida cold, not cold, cold, but right. Yeah, that's good. Also, yeah, it's it's been actually cold, cold here for the past few days. It snowed a little bit uh, yesterday, so yeah. Um, let, you know what? Okay, so let's let's be positive. Let's let's talk about positive Michigan stuff. I want to ask you a couple questions. We're gonna get to ask us anything here in a second. Okay. But what is your favorite? What is your favorite Ohio State Michigan kind of tradition, or I don't know, just kind of thing that happens every year, like n- non-game wise. Uh, cause I was going to say my favorite tradition was Jim Trestle beating Michigan every year. <laughs> right. Um, right. 
you know, I you know, other than the the you know, obviously they have the Mirror Lake jump, which is awesome. Um, mm-hmm. you know, just the whole week of just hate. It's it's like different than any <laughs> other week that there is. It is, season. yeah. I mean, I remember, you know, when I was on campus and there was just a whole different vibe. And it's like this is a school. You know, you're going to classes and you're you're there to get an education. You're there to graduate and, you know, you know, get a career and all that stuff. But the air just feels different on Michigan week. It feels it does. It, it, it's really hard to concentrate on anything other than getting to Saturday, really. I and, agree. Um, you know, we had a thing at Papa Joe's, which is uh, sadly burned down uh, there on High Street. Uh, but on Saturday mornings um, of the Michigan game, we had kegs and eggs. And you right. get down there and you have your breakfast and you you start drinking beer like ridiculously early, like eight in the morning. Um, you know, a lot of us would just be still up from the night before. So uh, right. it was fun. It's like, OK, which a couple more hours, we get the kegs and eggs and we'll be good. And, uh, you know, you just pretty much stay up all night. You'd party all morning and then go to the game at noon and then, uh, you know, if you won, you'd be awesome and you'd, you'd get a second win and you'd party all day and all night. And if not, you'd go home, take a nap afterwards. Yeah, I, I got to tell you something. So here's here's my personal answer on this, because I, co- I totally agree with you. The atmosphere on campus just is different. Uh, people definitely have this kind of do or die like attitude. I just love the petty crap. I love the petty little like nit like ah screw you kind of thing that just happens throughout the week. I love the the red tape over all, all the, the M's, M's on campus. <laughs> That's hilarious and stupid, but it's hilarious. That, they didn't used to um, do that in my day. They didn't. Yeah, I know, and I, I just I, I I love that petty little stuff. I love the blood drive where you're like, God, I gotta get this blood out of my body so I can beat Michigan. Yeah. Like I, I love that kind of stuff because it it really does reflect the mentality of everything we're doing this week is to beat Michigan. Yeah. And granted, none of it will actually help beat Michigan, but it feels like it will. And everybody wants to participate. And I, I just, I love that feeling where you just, it feels like all 50,000 people on campus have one goal. Yeah. And that's just to get to Saturday so they can watch Michigan like lose and watch us like gloat and laugh about it for another year. So I like, I, I just love that kind of stuff. Um, I just remember, you know, some of the Michigan games that I saw, and I actually was on campus for a loss against Michigan, which was really crappy. Um, But the the atmosphere is just, it's totally different. It's electric and it's, it's really, really fun to to take in. So yeah, I'm, I'm pumped. I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's Tuesday, but I'm already feeling it. Usually it takes me to about Thursday, you know, like after Thanksgiving, I'm like, oh crap, it's Michigan week, man. And then by Friday, I'm like super jittery. And then Saturday I'm losing my mind, but man, I I want this one this year really badly. So, uh, I, I, I'm pumped for it. I think it's going to be really good. Uh, let's tell you what, let's get to ask us anything. Okay. We'll, we'll talk to, to Matt here in a second, of course, about his experiences with Michigan and his reflection on Michigan State. But I want to answer these questions. We've got several this week, so let's let's get through it. Um, I believe this is one of the ones that was asked because we recorded a little early last week. Was that what the week before? I forget. Yeah, we, we recorded early last week. We had to go on yeah, Sunday so night. Yeah, so we've got a couple that are a little, little behind, but that's okay. Uh, so Daniel Brennan asks us this. Uh, it appears Dontre Wilson has played pretty sparingly this year due to the injury of his foot. It's hard to tell while watching the game or looking at the stats after the game if he's getting any playing time or just not involved in the plays. Uh, could he still take a medical redshirt this year? What do you think? Uh, I believe the rule is uh, five games or less. And so I don't yeah. I don't believe that he's played in five games. And if he hasn't, then he could take a medical redshirt. 
Yeah, I mean, it's possible. I am not super optimistic about it. Um, but, yeah, it'll be interesting to keep an eye on I that. mean, I'm, I'm a little worried about his chronic foot problem. I mean, that, that could be... Right, uh, and, and considering his, his biggest asset is his speed, right? right? Like, yeah. so, yeah, we'll see. Um, all right, so this is from Asian Chipmunk. This is Alvin. Uh, have you guys ever thought about taking your podcast to the next level with cool, funny sound buttons? Examples can be random sounds like Zeke to notable quotes from Harbaugh to the best damn band land snippets. What do you think, Michael? I think we can literally not take this to the next level. I don't think there's another. I don't think there's another <laughs> level. level. Yeah, we are operating at the optimal level for uh, for our talent, <laughs> and um, actually, we we probably uh, outkicked our coverage a little bit, quite frankly. Yeah, you know what? I we, there are some things on the Audacity audio. Uh, Edit, you know, audio editing software that we use, that some some music that we can use, or some sounds. But I don't know that I really want to get too far into like the slide whistle, like <laughs> you know, like press the press the alert button, it's like I'll behave or something. I I, don't, I think I'm I think I'm cool with that. I think we're good. Uh, yeah, this, from is, this isn't morning drive time uh, FM radio. <laughs> yeah, well I don't know. It depends when they listen to it, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, it could be. But it's not FM radio. True. All right, so this is from Gregory Metz. He says, hey, guys, rough weekend, but I'm forging ahead. Good for you, Greg. Uh, using my tears this season of Thanksgiving meal. That's weird. Kind of gross. Uh, so Gregory Metz says, number one, favorite Star Wars movie and scene. What do you think? Favorite Star Wars movie is The Empire Strikes Back. Correct. That's the best one. You're right. Favorite scene, uh, I'm going to go with the the original blowing up the death Star and a woohoo, great shot, kid. That was one in a million. Oh, um, man. I, I, yeah. I really like that one. That's really legit. And, I mean, I'm just going to basically throw the first, you know, the three prequels right into the garbage. Uh, <laughs> not even thinking about them. But I would agree with you. Okay, so Empire Strikes Back is definitely the best one. It, it might, I mean, it's one of the best sci-fi movies ever made. It, it's unbelievable. I mean, the first one's a lot of campy fun, and it's really great. And the third one's like, okay, it's wrapping it up, and it's a good movie. But that second one is just the editing, the writing, yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, I agree with you. The first Death Star explosion is really awesome. I would say as far as character moments, I love the end of The Empire Strikes Back where Han Solo is being put into the carbonite. Like the way that scene is shot mm-hmm. and lit, like with the like, the red coming up from where it like that's that's a crazy scene. Like I love that. Um yeah, it just Empire Strikes Back is filled with so many cool little moments like that. Yeah, and the emotional, the emotion of it when uh, you know Han and Leia are there, and he's, he's about to get frozen and all that stuff. So that that's it's a great scene. You're right. I know. Um, <laughs> so well, actually, I'm going to ask you a, a follow up question of my own. Then, Michael, like, how do you, how do you feel? Are you excited for the the new movie coming out? Oh, I'm a kid again, dude. Yeah, I'm, good. Yeah, I'm, good. I'm ready to go. I'm. I'm. Uh, I haven't gotten it yet. I've got to get a ticket for the first week because some some idiot's going to spoil it on Twitter. Uh, That's if there's true. A big yeah. thing. So I, I'm excited about it. I'm not. Um, I guess I'm. I'm cautiously optimistic that it can be good. But I, I like J.J. Abrams, so I think. Um, you know, I like what he did with the Star Star Trek reboot. So I'm looking forward to it. I think. What makes me excited about it is that I think Harrison Ford actually gives a crap. Like, you can tell, like, some of the clips, like, he's actually trying to act. <laughs> and that's usually a good sign for a movie, so I'm I'm pretty pumped for it. I mean, I love Harrison Ford. Obviously, I love Star Wars. So I think it'll be good. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be a fun movie. Yep, and a hot shot first. Yes, he did. Oh, my God. I've had – I wanted to rewatch the trilogy, right? I've had the hardest time trying to find an addition – 
because I don't own it. Uh, I've I've had the hardest time trying to find an edition without the remastered like bullcrap like that. Yeah, it's difficult. Uh, all right. So Greg had a second follow up question here: boneless or bone in wings? Tread lightly. The world is listening. I'm not going to tread lightly, Gregory. I'm not. I'm going to say I'm all in on Team Boneless because really, yep, you sink your teeth right in. Don't got to worry about anything. It's not as messy. Huh. You could eat them with a fork if you want, and uh, it's maximizes your chicken surface. Yeah. Eat it with a fork. You're a bad person. You can, you can eat the boneless ones with a fork. You can. Yeah, I understand that you can. Do, I understand it's theoretically possible. <laughs> That's not really my beef with what you just said. Look, I'm not I, I'm not I, talking about being George Costanza with a knife and fork eating a Snickers bar here. No, but that kind of sounds like what you're I'm saying. I'm talking about I like dripping with sauce. Uh-huh. I like to, you know, get the blue cheese on there. Yeah. I like, you know, I like them spicy. And right. I am a very... Very sloppy person, so it enables me to not go home with like a shirt covered in orange stains. All right, I look. I, I think that's part of the experience. I'm going to go ahead and say bone in, just because a it's like actually like it feels like it actually came from a chicken when the bones in. I mean, I know they're they're both probably equally processed, but it just makes me feel like I'm eating actual food. And the second reason why I really like bone in is because I kind of like the feeling of gnawing on a little bit to like. Like, oh, there's still a little bit of chicken on there. I can, like, and, like, kind of, you know, get at it. I enjoy that part. So that's how I, <laughs> I'm uh, one of those guys who just likes to, like, I take, you know, watermelon rind and, like, just eat the bottom of the watermelon rind. Yeah. So, so like, that, if, if you if the question was a donut with a hole or without a hole, you'd go with a hole. Uh, yeah, I think so, less, yeah, less, I agree. Less donut surface and less food, but. Yeah, but it's, but it's more fun to eat. Okay. I would okay, say. Okay, okay, yeah. All right. I'm, yeah. I'm, all right. All right. So Jason's got a question for us. Uh, he says, I have a six month old daughter. What's the best way to teach her to hate Miss Michigan with the white hot passion of a thousand sons? What does he do? What does he do to engender in, in this incredible hatred that we have for that state of North? It's not our boss, Jason, right? <laughs> no. Okay. It's Jason White. Uh, here's, here's what you do you live yeah. your hate and you teach the child by an example that's how you do mm-hmm. it you you just have to do it by example if your hate is true and it's real and it's visceral that will come through and your child will pick up on that and they will adopt that because that's what children do they like to take on the traits of their their parents that's true yeah it's very true i would say that on the opposite like the 6 month right so i'm trying to think of the right word for this but you know, every year we have Michigan on the same weekend on the six month, like opposite date of that. So the opposite day of that show them every Michigan football game, like once a year until the kids like 10, show them every Michigan game from the 1990s. <laughs> and then when they run, when you run out of games, just show them the Timbiaka Batuga game, like over and over and over and over and over until they, they just want to kill everybody in the state of Michigan. Okay. That's what I would say, because that's what I grew up with. And that's why I hate Michigan. <laughs> Because every Saturday on a beautiful day at the end of the fall, you know, or at the end of the fall football season, I had to watch Ohio State just fall flat on their face, and I just I developed this burning hatred for this horrible team up north. So that's what I would recommend: just show her those games over and over and over, yeah. and eventually she'll get it. You know, we have a question, uh, Johnny, from uh, Richard Bruns that we did. Oh yeah, let's to. do it. He says he's only recently started listening to podcasts and wanted to get in on the question asking. So he says. To wear a watch or not to wear a watch, I say no watch because my phone's got it covered. What do you think? Uh, <laughs> uh, I have to I have to tread lightly here because my girlfriend did get me a watch a couple mm, of years okay. ago. 
and I do not wear a watch because I don't like I don't I don't like things like necklaces or anything on my wrist like it just feels weird. Uh, I, I do think phones do adequately fill that that role, but what I will say is that a classy watch uh, looks pretty good on a classy dude. So, you know, it, it's a style choice, mm-hmm. and it's not one that I would personally make, but I definitely think that um, it's not a bad one. I think I think some dudes can definitely pull it off, and I, I apologize greatly to my girlfriend because she got me a very nice watch. Yeah, and I, I like I like a oh, yeah. nice watch, but I don't wear my watch all the time because I do. You know, you have the phone with you, but the problem is, the see the watch, you just turn your wrist, and there it is. With the, That's with true. the phone, you got to pull it out of your pocket or whatever. You know, hit the button. <laughs> oh god! I I pull it out of my pocket and then look First at it. First world problems, right? You got to pull it out of your, you dig it out of your. Maybe your jeans are a little tight, and you got to really <laughs> dig in there, and you got to get it out. Then you got to hit the button. Jeez. And, you know, and it's an obvious. It's an obvious move. Whereas, like the the old, uh, like if you're trying to get out of a conversation or something. Uh, but yeah. if you just kind of glance, you know, if you're a little sly, you could do it you know, with the watch and not be caught. But uh, you, there's no disguise in that looking at the phone thing. Yeah. Um, all right. So we, we have a couple questions on Twitter here. Um, Aaron asked us two, actually. So the first one is, would we rather rewatch last week's game or eat an entire jar of rusty nails? What say you? Well, um, I don't like pain. So both yes. of them are pretty horrible. But uh, at least... I can use the watching to get some analysis in and maybe learn something true. Yeah. Something maybe that I didn't see before. Um, yeah, eating, I'm not a big fan of eating non-edible things. Okay, I'm not sure when my last tetanus shot was, and actually, like, I'm I'm seriously concerned about it because I do not know. <laughs> I forget when I had it, and I don't know how long they. You should last, go tonight. So. You should go tonight. Just go in and get a tetanus yeah, shot. Go to the, go to the ER sure. and get a tetanus shot. Seriously, like I don't, I don't know when I had it last. Like I, I don't know, I don't know. I know I had to have one for college. Anyway, I'm not gonna, I'm not eating a jar of frosty. <laughs> All right, so the second one is that's a serious medical issue. I gotta figure that out because I, I bump into stuff. I don't know. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, second question he asked: Who would be better at play calling, Tim Beck or Big McLarge Huge from Space Mutiny? <laughs> mm, I don't know what Big McLarge Huge from Space Mutiny's. Um background in football is or if he has any <laughs> it feels like he would have a pretty good one right i mean he's a big dude yeah maybe he played probably knows maybe he played high school football but i don't think he's been in football as long as tim beck has been and yeah. so i think tim beck's you know probably better at play calling but maybe maybe he's just not as varied as big mclarge huge maybe big yeah. mclarge huge would vary the playbook more but maybe wouldn't necessarily know when to pull out certain plays I mean that's true, but I gotta tell you something. I feel like Big McLarge Huge is the kind of guy who keeps it a hundred at basically all times. You know what I mean? Like whether he's driving one of those like motorized carts, you know, <laughs> through I think power station, or when he's dancing with those like you know those forty year old moms in spandex. Like he's just a dude who lives his life to the fullest. I don't think he would pull any punches on any team. I, I'm I'm okay with giving him a shot okay. at offensive coordinator for at least a couple games in the middle of the Big Ten season. So I'm going to go with Big McLarge Huge on this one. Okay. Yeah. And that was Ask Us Anything. You guys can ask us anything in a number of ways. I forgot to say it at the beginning of the segment. Yep. Uh, but you can email us at dubcast at gmail.com, or you can send us a tweet uh, at 11dubcast. So do it. And oh man, well, I look very much for. I'm very much looking forward to your questions after this weekend. So that should be good. Yeah. Joining us this week, as he does every week during the football season, is of course Matt Finkus for Finkus on Football. 
Thank you for joining us, even in the aftermath of this very stupid weekend that we just experienced. Uh, how are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing good. You know, I actually I got to see some Buckeye legends tonight. I was with John Hicks and oh, good. other guys. So lifted the spirits up a little bit, you know? Good. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I mean, it is Michigan week, right? Like, th- that is definitely going to be a focus well, of I our little Well, I checked, it is still Michigan week this weekend. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's the one constant in our lives that we can rely on. But I Even do want to ask you. It's not the third Saturday in, in November anymore. Now it's the fourth <laughs> no, That's true. Don't get me so started maybe, on I mean, that. But that's okay. Constant in a different way. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. Um, so let's let's try to get through this quickly and painlessly then uh, and talk about the Michigan State game a little bit. Uh, look, Ohio State seemed like they were game plan just completely, like totally out of their league, especially in offense. What did Michigan State do so well, and then what were some of the failures on the part of Ohio State that allowed Michigan State to kind of control the game defensively like they did? You know, I think it's it's really – that's an easy question. What what did Michigan State do well? They took away um, Ohio State's running game. That's what yeah. they did. They, they, they penetrated. They beat guys at the line of scrimmage. Uh, you know, I mean, Ezekiel Elliott with, with his 12 carries, and, yes, that's a low number, but look at the look at the yards he had in those twelve carries. Under three a yard, he wasn't effective. And I mean, just just to think that we give him the ball more and he's going to be effective. I mean, yes, maybe I don't think so against that defense. Why Ohio State wasn't doing well is why Ohio State has lost every game under the Urban Meyer era. They don't make adjustments offensively well. If you go back to the first loss, the you know the Michigan State loss in the Big Ten championship game. Michigan State came out with a plan. Ohio State can't adjust. I mean, it's just it seems to be kind of the mo as far as the in-game adjustments go with the offensive football team. They just they don't make it. You know, I mean, the, Urban Meyer said in his press conference, you know, hey, we wanted to throw the ball. Well, then the weather came. Like, seriously, we don't have a plan B for if it was going to rain. I mean, <laughs> the rain was coming for a long time. I mean, I find that that you know that logic baffling. Like, well, we wanted to throw the ball more, but then it would rain. Oh, so, well, if it rains, then I guess we just call it a day, pack it in. Why should we even go out for the second half? I mean, you've got to be kidding me. It's not really an all-weather sport, really. I mean, it's like tennis. <laughs> yeah, hey, it's Ohio. It's playing a wet field. It's, yeah, it's Ohio in the wintertime. I mean, what we're gonna, I mean, if it snowed, were we just going to really forfeit the game? I mean, what, I mean really. <laughs> and so that's frustrating from, a, from you know, a, a fan standpoint, I'm sure, because you look at that offensive game plan and it just there were no adjustments made. We just kept trying to do the same things that weren't working over and over and over. I mean, and, and, you know, I think that Mark Snyder even talked about it in his post-game press conference. He's like, we knew what they liked to do with Ezekiel Elliott. We took that away. We knew what they liked to do with with the quarterback run. We took that away. They wanted to throw deep and take some shots. We were going to take the chances. And, I mean, if you go back in that game, I I remember two downfield passes. I mean, both of them missed, but two. When, when, mm-hmm. when a team has nine in the box and you go, you take two shots downfield, we were going three and out anyway. Why not take some shots down the field? I mean, you know, we start off <laughs> right. the second half, four straight three and outs. That's four more chances, in my opinion, to take a shot down the field. If it works, it does, great. If it doesn't, then you're still going three and out. I mean, I guess, you know, it's a cynical way to look at it and everything, but I mean, it's just, it's frustrating. And, you know, I think that for, um, you know, 
everything that Urban Meyer does exceedingly, exceedingly well. Recruit, prepare, motivate, scheme. I think he does all those things at an elite, elite level. I don't think that there's probably anyone that can compete with him across the board as well as he does all those four things. In-game adjustments is not his thing, and play calling is not his thing. And so, I mean, that's part of you know being a leader, recognizing those weaknesses and, and what we've got to do to, to, to make those changes. So should we be worried that he says he's going to get more involved in the play calling this week because uh, <laughs> because the complaints of the, the play calling? All right, so here's my thing, uh, Matt. Well, he said my he, thing he, is, he called most of the plays last week, did he not? This, I mean, the post-game press conference, that's what I heard. Well, that's what he said, and then and then on Monday in his pressers, he said he'd be more involved with the play. I, I took that as I took that to mean that he was taking a bullet for uh, for his play callers. That's, that's probably what I, so. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 sure that was the case. Um, so here's what I want to know, Matt: is that one of the frustrating things for me was just the stupid mistakes that you know the Ohio State shooting itself in the foot all night, and one of those things was very uncharacteristic: three offside penalties on Joey Bosa, the third of which was a tremendously devastating penalty because it turned up what would have been a fourth and eight into a fourth and three. They end up converting mm-hmm. and end up tying the game on that drive. It, what happens on a defense for in a defensive lineman sometimes when you see this happen, is it just a case of the yips? I mean, what, what happens when it's, it's not a problem and then all of a sudden for one game, it's a problem. Well, I think that, that what, what Michigan state might've done, and I don't know this for sure. I'm taking a guess at this, you know, offsides is just, it, it, that's a focus thing most of the time. But, but what Michigan State might have done with this and with Joey Bosa in particular is, I mean, Joey Bosa has a fantastic first step. He anticipates the snap count a lot, and he's able to get off and get guys around the corner. You know, that's, that's what he does probably better than anything else. So Michigan State probably watched enough film. I mean, you know, it's week 11 now, and you've watched enough film to say, okay, no one's tried to really hard count him yet. Let's see if that works because his first step is a monster, and we can't block it, to be honest with you. So let's let's give this a shot and let's give it a try and it ended up working. I mean, and, and that's just you know again that that's an in-game adjustment that Joey's got to make, uh, you know, to to be more cognizant of that and that's what they're going to try to do. And it's and, and speaking from experience, that's tough. It's tough to to change your instinctual first step that you know what you think is the snap count. It's tough to change that mid-game. I mean, it really really is. I mean, that 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 kind of stuff is stuff that you don't think about. You know, where you put your hand down and you go, that's stuff that, that is, you know, unthinking, especially for a defensive end. So I, I think, again, I think Michigan, Michigan State just kind of noticed that. They took a shot with it. It worked, and they continued to do it. So thinking specifically about Jim Harbaugh's Wolverines this weekend, what specifically? Yeah, they want to hit on Ezekiel Elliott at all? I mean, because uh, – You know, that's a good point. I totally forgot about that. Yes, they do want to hit on Ezekiel Elliott. Thank you for reminding me. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's sorry, what I'm people crazy. wanted to kill me on Twitter for. Also, my wife was worried yeah, let's that, talk about that. that she was going to come was, home. And... Well, I want to tell you something, Matt. We we just talked to Beanie Wells about this, right? Because mm-hmm. and that's a dude who has some experience. Um, maybe not uh, getting the ball when he probably should have in a couple of games. Uh, LSU. Yeah, <laughs> right. And mm-hmm. he said that he was not as maybe amped up or fired up about those comments. Like, he didn't necessarily agree that he should have done them in public, but I don't think he was as upset as maybe some well, other people. So what is that's, your perspective That's the that? whole argument. It's not – and every – here's the thing. You're not going to find – I mean, maybe you will. I'm sure you actually – probably I'm sure you will. But they're going to be very disgruntled. 
you're not going to find a, a player, I don't think, at, at Ohio State or any other college who is going to say what he did and how he did it is okay, and we should yeah. look the other way on that. I'm, right. I, and I've said this multiple times. I said it on Twitter. I said it on the postgame show. I said it last night on ABC. I don't have a problem with what he said. I think what he said was dead on. I think that, you know, yes, I understand why, why he said it. It's an emotional game. It's an emotional time. You know, that game meant a lot, and he thought that he could help the team by getting the ball more. I have no problem with his line of thinking whatsoever. I think it was – I mean, he's totally justified. Whether you – if we give him the ball 20 more times and he carries 30, 32 times, do we win the game? I don't know. But I understand his thinking at 100%. What I totally cannot get on board with, is the way that he did it. You don't do that. In in every facet of life, there is a hierarchy, there is a structure, there, I mean, no matter what it is. I mean, in prison, there's a hierarchy and structure amongst (laughs) people. You know, I mean, in, in the most visceral place on the earth, there's still a hierarchy and a structure. And what he did was basically turn that on its ear. And, you know, you just you can't do that, and 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 it's, and I I get that they've tried to kind of downplay it, and then don't even get me started on the apology, but you know I mean it's just <laughs> I mean at that point just I mean why even bother you know I mean and it's right. not like Jerry Emmett you know proofread that apology believe me, and <laughs> you know I mean but here's the thing about it again I don't think anyone disagrees with again what he said I think that's what everyone right. was feeling I think that I mean I was feeling it in the second half I mean everyone was. Right. You know, I felt the same way after, you know, a number of Michigan games in the 90s. You know, when we're, when we're running toss into the boundary with Eddie George, and, and I'm sitting there on third down saying, toss in the boundary, here it comes, and we run it, and he gets tackled <laughs> for a two-yard loss. You don't think I was frustrated with, with the play right. calling? Of course. But you don't say it in public. And it's not because it's not true. It's for all the little things that happened inside that locker room where now there's seeds of – uh, I, I don't want to say, you know, disruption, but if you were thinking, well, do I, I don't have to listen to these guys. I can, I, I can go off and say what I want and, and what's going to happen. Nothing. They're going to probably make me come in and apologize in, you know, in Urban's, you know, office. But, I mean, it, just, it, it does. I mean, and, and here's the other thing, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a leadership thing where the, the actual leaders and, you know, the captains on that team, I'll tell you what, if that happened in 1996 with, with, I mean, honestly, even if it would have happened in 95 with Eddie George, I guarantee yeah. you there would have been myself, Mike Vrabel, Bobby Hoying, you know, any number of guys that would have been there waiting in, in, to talk to him after the game. Dude, you don't do that. You need, right. to, you need to walk that back. You don't do that. And I mean, it's just, it's, it's, Maybe it's just you know get off my lawn. I'm an old guy thing. I don't I don't know, but, but, but I, that's just well, my opinion, I, my two cents. No, I'm glad I'm glad you brought it up. And, and here's the other thing I was thinking about. Right? I mean, he had a significant amount of time in between the end of the game and him making that statement. I mean, I understand a lot of people said yeah, it was maybe like 20, a the most repeated thing. Yeah. But there's, but yeah, he almost had like a half hour to calm it down. I mean, some of the reporters were asking him questions to allow him to kind of walk it back if he wanted to. And he doubled down like that dude definitely wanted to make that statement. And 
to me, it's an interesting commentary on where the leadership is in the locker room because of that. Because if you like, maybe he felt he had to be vocal about it to get something changed. But you're right; that hierarchy shouldn't render that necessary for any individual player, right? Like you should be able to no, handle it, that. It, it shouldn't. I mean, if you feel that way and you have a problem with that, then you know what? Sunday morning, you're calling Urban Meyer and saying, "Hey, you know, I want to, I want to sit down and talk with you." Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's how you handle it. I mean, and if and if there's other guys in the in the locker room that feel the exact same way, then you all get together and say, "We want to go, coach. We want to talk to you." And that's how you handle it. I mean, plain and simple. I mean, the leaders go do it, and you go do it, and you go handle that in house. Don't put that out in the media. And for for everyone's like, "Well, you want these guys?" To, no, I don't want these guys to be honest. I don't want the the, the Ohio State <laughs> football team to turn into Kardashians. Nobody wants uh-huh. that. Look what happened to Lamar Odom. Look what's happening to Kanye West. It's horrible. <laughs> no one wants that. It's not. To be fair, I still I still greatly enjoy Kanye West. I don't I don't want to. Oh, don't give me the same know what that guy's doing. He just he shows up on Saturday Night Live and it's like strobe lights and screaming in the microphone like that's <laughs> not. That's like some performance art crap that you'd see down in Soho somewhere. Give me a break. All right, I'm going to let you finish, but uh, I want to turn I'm, I want to turn our attention toward uh, Michigan. I want to turn our attention toward the game yeah. because uh, for me, the, the greatest rivalry in sport is coming up on Saturday. And I have a little bit of anxiety now that we're going to see four more quarters of empty set quarterback runs. Um, how is Ohio State going to attack Michigan's defense, which is a very, very good defense? Well, I'll tell you, you've got to try to attack it on the perimeter, and, and, if you, and you've got to kind of try to attack it away from Jabril Peppers. I mean, he's a really, really good cover guy. He's a physical guy at the point of attack as well. I mean, he's kind of what the old star position that, I mean, that's he's a perfect guy for that, you know I mean? And, and so, I mean, I, I think that you have to attack it on the perimeter. The defensive line is very physical. They, they play well. You know, I, I think I said this last night, too, that, you know, you're going to get a probably more talented, aside from Shalit Calhoun, a more talented front seven that now is starting to get coaching than we saw last week at Michigan State. At Michigan State, you, you kind of get the – guys with a little bit less talent, but that were coached to a T. And at Michigan, you had the talent guys come in, you know, top 10 recruiting class every year. They just weren't developed, weren't coached properly. Now they're starting to get that coaching, and I think that's a dangerous combination. But I think that you've got to try to attack them on the edges and the perimeter, get those guys out of the box, and and just – you need to show – if Michigan is going to take away the the Zeke run and the quarterback run, then you've got to be able to hit Mike Thomas. He's got to be able to catch the ball, and we've got to be able to, to, to play the game on the outside and on the edges. I mean, that's where we want to play it anyway. And I think we, we can take some shots down the field. I, I think that the, the corners and safeties aside from Jabril Peppers are uh, not going to match up with our skill players very well. So maybe kind of from a macro sense here, I mean, obviously you've got, you know, Jim Harbaugh, who's, who's like obviously improved Michigan greatly over the course of the season. And then, of course, you have Urban Meyer, one of the best coaches in, in college football. What makes this rivalry special? I mean, what is it about the, the game, the, the stuff surrounding it for you personally that, like, you really just love about it? I mean, it's, it's the history of it. You know, I mean, it really is. I mean, it's, it's, it's the – you know, we're we're talking, you know, about something that goes back hundred years. I mean, and it's just, 
it's the it's the you know you you go back and read the names of the guys who've played in the game. I mean the Heisman Trophy winners and the national champions and the Bolitnikovs and the I mean and the the Outland Trophy guys. I mean for both sides. I mean it's 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 a it's amazing, you know the level of play that has happened in that game over the course of the years. And I mean and it's again every time that someone asks me about the rivalry, the best part is being a part of something forever as far as playing mm-hmm. in it. That's that's just bigger than yourself. I mean, you, you you are a part of history just for for playing in that game, and you know that that you can't say that about very many things in life. That you're always going to have a brotherhood, you know, with the Ohio State guys and even with the Michigan guys. You know, I mean, I still talk to a lot of those guys. That that you have that that thing in common that no one else knows, no one else understands, no one else gets the intensity that happens there every Saturday. I mean, it's just, unless you've done, it's really, truly one of those experiences that unless you've been a part of it, you can't, it doesn't make sense. You can't explain it and, and no one will ever be able to replicate it. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's just, that's just the facts of it. And, and that's what makes it so special. Matt, before we well, let, I want to, I want to know personally, Matt, before we let you go, I want to know what your favorite Michigan game is, both as a player and as a spectator. Um, well, as a player, obviously it would be the 1994 game where we were able to win, uh, got a sack there on fourth down to, uh, to kind of ice the game. And so two sacks in that game, I think, and I recovered a fumble. So played pretty well and, and, uh, and, and had a, uh, I mean, that, that, that was one that kept Cooper's job too in 94, you know what I mean? And, that, and we kind of knew that going in and, and so Darn that, it. Was a, that was a special game. So, um, I mean, yeah, that, that obviously as a player, that was the best one. And, you know, as a spectator, I still, you know, I was in the stands for that, uh, for that game in 2000, what is it, 2006, the, uh, you know, yeah. the, the game of the century or whatever. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. I mean, what a, I mean, you know, you talk about the rivalry and just all the things that happen. I mean, you got one versus two, you got Bo Schembechler dying the day before. I mean, it's just uncanny, just the the things that happen in that ride. Then you have a game that's played the way it is. I mean, and they, then they're taking the turf up, and they're you know, so people are taking chunks of dirt home with them. I mean, just, <laughs> it was just so surreal and bizarre that I mean, those, those kind of are, are the memories that, that you know. I mean, again, that, that doesn't happen anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that game was so big that the loser got to go to the Rose Bowl. That's how big that game was. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that was that was the fun one. I, I enjoyed that one as well. I was also in attendance, and I did take some of the dirt home, and then I I left it in Wendy's. Uh, <laughs> I went to go eat a bunch of Wendy's. No, and, I left and, it and honestly, you know, being being part of the of the you know with Jim, with what Jim Lachey and I do now with the gold pants and, and providing those for the guys every year, uh, you know, yeah. and getting to go kind of kind of go back and go through the history, and, and now having that responsibility of of you know providing those charms and what those charms mean and and the guys that get them and, and, you know, to see, I mean, again, I was at, you know, I was at this event tonight, you know, and, and there was a bunch of Ohio state Michigan guys there. And I was actually sitting at a table with a group of three women who all whose husbands had played, but had since passed away. And all of them had, you know, two, three pairs of gold pants on that they were wearing around their neck. I mean, and that's just, that's great. I mean, that's what it means. I mean, it's just, it's that special to, to these people. Yeah, I, I mean it's a it's a thread that connects us to something much like you said much greater than ourselves, and I think that's always really cool to be a part of. Um, Matt Finkus, thank you so much for coming on and, and talking about that because 
This is great. I mean, I love Michigan Week. I love the hatred that it elicits, and I love the fact that you know we have this this great social thing. Are, that are we get, are we getting together to go jump in Mirror Lake in a little bit? <laughs> no. Thursday? No, you guys aren't coming up. Well, the official one. I forget when is the official one that they said like they actually I think endorsed. It's Thursday, Thursday is when it normally happens, but but now they're trying to do it like on different days and kids breaking yeah. barriers now and everything. You're supposed to get a wristband, but then you got drunk guys that are jumping fences and stuff. So I don't understand <laughs> why you just can't jump like, on regular intervals jump throughout the, the entire week. I mean, the lake yeah. is two feet deep. I mean, who's going to get hurt? Let's, let's, I mean, my God, I, I, need, I didn't wear a seatbelt as a kid. Look, I'm, I turned out fine. <laughs> <laughs> very good point. All right, Matt, thank you very much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Bye, guys. I'll talk to you soon. All right, joining us tonight on this Tuesday of Michigan Week is Chris Beanie-Wells, the Buckeye Show, 97.1, and also, of course, in your hearts and minds, as one of the greatest Ohio State running backs of all time. How are you doing tonight, man? Doing pretty good. How's everything going with you guys? Uh, it would have been going a lot better had this weekend or this past weekend turned out a little more in our favor. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I'm okay. How are you, Michael? I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> so we're doing. We're we're all right. Um, I, I wanted to discuss a couple of things. Uh, I obviously want to talk about Michigan. I, I think that's a huge part of of what I want to tap your brain about a little bit. But the first thing that I want to address, and this is the biggest thing that's been on my mind, is the Ezekiel Elliott situation. Um, I've heard you talk about a little uh, about it a little bit. I've seen some of your comments on Twitter. I just want, for the people who haven't, to kind of get your take on his comments, how it was handled, and then maybe like how you might have reacted in a similar situation. Yeah, um, you know, first and foremost, I, I think that you know we are. No, Zeke's a great kid, um, you know, just based off of the time that I've spent around the program and, you know, gotten to know him a little bit. And, you know, I'm sure you guys have, uh, you know, gotten to know him through the media a little bit and, you know, his yeah. uh, what he displays, what he means uh, to the program and his family background. I think he's an awesome kid. I think after the game, you know, he was just kind of caught in one of those situations that he was frustrated and he kind of let it. Uh, be known that he was frustrated emotionally. And, you know, when you, you, you put your blood, sweat, and tears in, into a game and you're, you're hopeful for certain things and they don't uh, go as planned, uh, sometimes you tend to, you know, react in uh, a manner that is not typical of yourself. And I think that's what happened with Ezekiel Elliott. You know, he kind of he lashed out a little bit and, uh, you know, said some things he probably shouldn't have said. And, and I'm sure he wish he could have back at some point. Um, but, yeah, I mean, nonetheless, you know, I just chalk it up to a young guy that was frustrated, that wanted to be great for his team, great for the university, and help his team, you know, win that game and get to the ultimate goal of the Big Ten championship. So you personally, you don't have, like, a problem with him, like, kind of calling out his coaches a little bit? I mean, I, I feel like, because to me, like, I don't, I mean, I, I, I'm really curious about your take on that just because I almost feel like that wouldn't have happened in, you know, in the, in the locker room that you guys had, you know, like I felt that was, that was something to be kept much more on lockdown. So I guess I'm, I'm just kind of curious and like the difference there, you know? Yeah, no, no. I mean, do I have an issue with it? Is it something that I would have done? No. Is it something that I can right. tell? No. Do I understand where he was coming from with this frustration and with right. how the game played out and, uh, you know, everything that transpired that day, absolutely. You know, I understand where it's coming from completely, 110%. You know, it's not something that I would encourage for guys to go out and do. Um, <laughs> but he, he, you definitely sympathize with him a little bit in understanding that, you know, I mean, he, he's a young guy that 
you know, uh, is used to being the focal point of the offense. And, you know, he wants to, to win so bad. He wants to be good for not just himself, but for his team so bad. And when you come up short, you know, things like that, you know, it's going to happen. You know, uh, we've all been there before. We've been in situations that we didn't necessarily agree with. Now, whether we divorced him in, in, in the public forum and uh, is a different story or not, but, you know, we've been frustrated, really frustrated about situations uh, in our lives, at work, uh, and different aspects of life. And then sometimes we voice our opinion. Now, Zeke just happened to be on one of the bigger stages where he had a lot of national media and eyes on him. And, you know, it's a situation <laughs> that shouldn't have happened, but it did. And it's up to, uh, you know, him and, you know, the coaching staff to, to get to a point where they can kind of mutually move forward and know from, what it, from those uh, state, the statements he made. Now, Beanie, what goes on behind the scenes uh, between players and coaches when, you know, you have a frustrating loss like this, you feel like you have been you you haven't been used to the best of your ability. I know there must have been times in your in your career that you felt like you didn't get enough touches. Personally, on your behalf, I felt like you needed more touches in the LSU game. Um, <laughs> but you know, like what what happens in those instances where you know you felt like you know maybe you didn't get a chance to win a game that you should have won because you maybe weren't weren't being used the way you were normally used. What 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 happens behind the scenes? Yeah, behind the scenes, obviously, you know, in some situations, I, I guess it all depends on a player. Um, you know, if I was in a situation that he was in, it was probably been the same case of me going to the coach at some point during the game saying, hey, what's going on? Uh, you know, we need to get things going, and I'm the guy, you know, kind of lobbying to get the ball and lobbying to be that, that playmaker for the team. Uh, when they're in need, um, you know, it varies per guy, it varies per team, uh, the way situations are handled, and, and how guys feel comfortable enough to, you know, be able to go to the coach and, and be able to voice his opinion. Now, some situations and some universities and programs, guys aren't that comfortable enough to be able to go to a coach and say, you know, I want the football, get the ball in my hands, and allow me to make plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, just in this situation, Zeke was comfortable enough, and I think he's kind of earned that right to go to the coach and, you know, kind of display mm-hmm. his frustrations. Uh, you know, behind closed doors, obviously, um, and lobby for the football. But, you know, it, it lingered on past that, and, and it lingered on to a situation that it shouldn't have happened after the game. Well, all right. You know what? The, the past is past. I want to focus on Michigan Week because this, this should be the most exciting, like, fun week of the year, I think, for high State football. So I do want to talk about that. And I was thinking, like, I'm – you know, I was in college when you were in college. I, you know, I saw a ton of your games. Um, I guess one of the things I want to kind of reminisce about, talk about, is the games that you played against Michigan, and most specifically the 2007 game, I want to say. I think 2007 was maybe my all-time favorite just Ohio State game to watch simply because it was, like, to me, the epitome of trestle ball and what that was. So if you guys are – I think you ran it like uh, – 39 times in that game, 222 yards. Can you can you talk about that game a little bit and maybe explain the mentality that goes into not just Ohio State-Michigan, but that type of grinded-out, crazy, trestle-ball-esque game? Yeah, um, you know, that was a situation to where it was, it was cold, it was rainy up there in Michigan. You know, we had rode the bus up there, and on the way riding the bus, I don't know if you guys remember, HBO did a special on the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry. And on the way riding that bus, we watched that special going up to Ann Arbor. <laughs> and, you know, just to be able to take that in and understand, you know, the the the, the battle and, you know, where it all stemmed from, um, you know, was something that definitely was in the minds of all of us. And it was very fresh. You know, we went up there and, 
you know, we, we, we got a chance to, uh, you know, take heed and uh, what that documentary was saying about the rivalry and how historic of a moment it was for us to have an opportunity to be able to be a part of that rivalry, such a, a rich, strong rivalry and tradition. And, uh, you know, we get up there, it's cold, and we understand where Trestle, uh, what he wanted to do with well, the game plan was, was not for us to go out and really run the football. It was to go out and uh, slap Michigan in the mouth and, and get up and <laughs> slap them in the mouth again and do it again and again and again. And that was just the mentality of that game. You know, we're going to get up and we're going to either be the bully. We're going to get up and hit you as hard as we can. And then we're going to go back to the huddle and come back and tell you you haven't seen nothing yet and do it again and again and again that game. That was just the mentality of the game and the mentality of the atmosphere. Uh, that was a wild at that time period. You know, Beanie, the, uh, the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry, to me, best rivalry in all of sports. And the intensity of that game is unlike any other. And, and even in that series – you took part in a game in 2006, which the intensity was ramped up even more. It might be the most intense game that I have ever seen. Uh, both you and Pittman had long touchdown runs. Uh, crazy high-scoring game. What was it like to be a part of that atmosphere? Oh, it, it, it was wild. You know, I can remember a situation where, you know, I, I'm so nervous. I'm running down a tunnel, and uh, I look to my right, and I see uh, Derek Jeter, and Madonna hanging out on the sideline, <laughs> on the Michigan sideline. And I run back up the tunnel, and I had to kind of catch myself and say, wow, is this real? Are these people really just hanging out on our sideline? And that was the first time in my life that I had gotten starstruck and seeing something like that. And it was like, wow, this is uh, this is a big deal. And it really goes back even before that. You know, I remember being in the hotel the day before the game with Troy Smith, and we were hanging out in his room, and, you know, he kept harping and harping and saying, you know, if you make a play in this game, you make a big play in this game, you'll forever cement yourself in history here at Ohio State because this is the biggest game that you'll ever play in your life. I don't care if you're going to play Super Bowl. This is the biggest game, <laughs> one versus two matchup that you'll ever play in your life. And, and along with that memory, you know, comes the memory of the whole week on just about every channel there is. There being a countdown ticker about – two minutes or how many, how many ever days counting down to the game or whatever. And, uh, you know, just knowing that I was going to be a part of something special was such a, uh, such an exhilarating feeling. And then not to mention uh, the night before the game, having the great Bo Beckler pass away, adding right. more fuel to the fire in a sense of, you know, not really for us, but for those guys wanting to go out and kind of protect his name, you know, on, on the, the memory of, of, uh, of him at that point. So, you know, this is another thing I wanted to ask you. How did Jim Trestle, like, really get you guys, like, I, I know he did, like, the constant reminder and stuff, but how did he get you guys, like, really hyped up for the game and, and really into the mentality of, of playing it? Well, well I, I, don't, I don't think it takes, uh, you know, one coach to get you hyped up. I think just being around a program, you understand how important, not just that week, but on a yearly basis, how important that last game is. I think it starts in spring. When you go there, and you, I mean, they're talking about the game in the spring, and you got that countdown board in your meeting room, in your locker room, in your weight room, mm-hmm. so it was countdown to beat Michigan. And I, I think just hearing the stories from from past players, from past coaches being able to come back and speak to us and talk about their experiences and what it's like to be a part of something like that, I think that's all the motivation that we needed. You know, Trestle did a good job of putting people in front of us that was a part of such a strong, rich tradition and rich rivalry. Uh, Earl Bruce, for example, he would come back and speak to us about, uh, you know, 
what it was like for him to be a part of that coaching rivalry and what it was like for some of his guys and, you know, his displeasure with the University of Michigan. And, you know, you were able to feed and understand off of certain guys' stories, and that just, you know, kind of became a part of you and because a part of your mental makeup, just knowing that you had this displeasure and this dislike for the University of Michigan. Okay, so I'm glad that that question came up because I actually have the opposite question. <laughs> I want to know how, with a game that big, how you actually, and I know all players are different, but personally, how did you keep yourself calm and under control uh, in such an intense and hyped-up atmosphere? You know what, me personally, I'm always a, a pretty cool, calm, collective guy. You know, uh, now I'll be a guy listening to, I don't know, R&B music for a football game just to kind of relax myself and, you know, not try to overthink or, you know, overexert too much energy. So it wasn't really hard for me. You know, I, I just wanted to go out and just dominate and then play football. I always wanted to be better than the man that was going to be lined up across from me. And, you know, whether I went in with a calm attitude or, you know, a exciting, hype attitude, uh, I just wanted to dominate the guy that was going to be in front of me and play in, play out. You know what? So this is kind of a – this is a debate that I think we have pretty frequently, like between ourselves and maybe like among fans and whatever. So we've got Jim Harbaugh, right? Like he's new coach, bringing new blood. Michigan looks really good this year. Would you rather have uh, a victory over a Michigan team that is like really good on the rise, you know, under Jim Harbaugh, uh, or would you rather Michigan kind of like always be beat down and like they got to be terrible and and we should beat them like every time because they just suck? Like, what is what is your feel on that? Are, are you happy that Jim Harbaugh has kind of brought them back to prominence a little bit? I am. I'm so happy he's brought them back to prominence and rebel. And I'd much rather go out and beat a Michigan team that's on the rise, that's winning a bunch of games and, you know, has their sights set on something so big <laughs> in Ohio State and you go out and dismantle those hopes and dreams and kind of derail that season and have those guys leaving that stadium with their heads uh, between their legs. You know, I'd much rather have that experience. Beanie, I'm glad you said that. I, I need to know, do you – do you still have your gold pants, and, and where do you keep them? What do you do with them? Absolutely. My mom wears all three of my gold pants around her neck. <laughs> That's awesome. That's excellent. <laughs> so what what is your uh, what is your prediction for Saturday? How do you think it's going to play out? Especially, I mean, given you know what happened last weekend. But, yeah, but how do you, know, you think the two teams match up? I think we're, we're going to come out motivated. Uh, you know, I think our guys are you know, going to understand the magnitude of the moment and uh, understanding – you know, they still have an opportunity to do something very, very special here at Ohio State and uh, go out and beat Michigan and dominate this team. You know, it's going to be a tough battle. Michigan's a good football team. On the defensive end, you know, they're paying pretty solid. Defensive line is very solid. Offensively, you know, Jake Rudolph has gotten tremendously better as the course of the season went on. Um, you know, so it's going to be a very, very good matchup. But I think our Buckeyes, uh, knowing the way they felt last week versus Michigan State, they're still going to have that bitter taste in their mouth, and they're going to use that as motivation, uh, even more motivation, knowing that they're going against Michigan. They don't want to feel that feeling again. Well, Beanie Wells, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, that's Beanie Wells, Chris Beanie Wells, uh, the Buckeye Show, 97.1 The Fan, and, of course, Ohio State, legendary running back. Thanks, man. No problem, man. Thanks for having me, guys. And that is this week's Michigan Week 11 Dubcast. Eight thank you week. Very much. Yes. <laughs> Hatred. Rah. Uh, thank you very much to Matt Finkus and, of course, Chris Beanie Wells for joining us, two Ohio State uh, players, and we're really good to get their, or glad to get their uh, perspective on the game. 
Last question that I want to ask you, Michael, mm. pertains, of course, to Michigan. What is your favorite Michigan game moment from the past five or six years in recent memory? Past five or six years? Hmm. My memory isn't what it once was. But um, I would have to say one of my favorites happened just last year. Mm-hmm. Fourth and one, starting quarterbacks out. Ezekiel Elliott gets the ball and goes all the way to the house. <laughs> yeah, that was sweet. Unbelievable moment. I, I just love that. That and my other favorite, um, obviously the the uh, one that stands out is uh, Zach Boren with the sack and then, you know, standing. Oh, yeah. I still have that photo as my phone wallpaper. I don't know what the statute of limitations is on that photo, but I might not ever Never. take it off. But uh, yeah. that was another good one. And um, It's murder. The, uh, not, the, uh, never, there's not a statute of limitations on that. <laughs> Uh, Christian Bryant also uh, hitting um, uh, uh, shoot um, in the NFL now. Can't think of his name. Um, hitting him so hard, making him fumble, uh, and they couldn't cross the 50-yard line in the second half of that game. God dang it, what is his name? Not Devin, Sorry, from not Devin Gardner. Just... The guy that went was before Gardner at quarterback. That oh, um... running back in that game because he couldn't throw it. <laughs> It's really sad that we can't remember his name because I, it's it's an age thing, man. I I I, yeah. I lose names all the time. It's right in the back of my brain, and I can't get it to the front. That's all right. So, um, it doesn't really matter because he lost. Denard, yeah, De- yep. He hit Denard Robinson so hard that it popped out. That was great. So Christian Bryant and uh, Zach Boren and and Poor Denard Ezekiel Robinson. Elliott. Those, those are my those are my favorite moments of the last several years. All good choices, but you are missing the best one, which is of course. Marcus Hall, double bird, which is <laughs> by far yeah. maybe the greatest moment in Ohio State-Michigan game history. The only way you can really, truly show your displeasure with Michigan is yeah. to be in the middle of the field and be you know, ejected, and then the, everybody, every eye is on you as you walk out. You know what? You know how I – this is why I know Michigan and Michigan fans are terrible because they, they look to them and they're like, oh, our door's a bunch of thugs. Michigan State plays the game the right way. <laughs> Instead of appreciating how hilarious and awesome that was, they have to talk about like, well, that just goes to show Ohio State, no class. Like, shut up. Like, if you can't appreciate a, a righteous double bird as you are exiting a stadium, <laughs> that is – that's hilarious. Well, and it's funny, that, too. That's when I knew – that's when I knew for the rest of my life that I could never even slightly be on the side of a Michigan fan because if you can't just set aside your silly, like, superiority complex for five seconds to appreciate that, you are never going to enjoy being a sports fan. You're just going to be a sad, smug, miserable, like – you're going to drink PBR in the corner of a party for the rest of your life because nobody likes you and you're awful. Like, if you can't enjoy that, like, I, I wish I could have that tattoo drawn on my forehead. Well, that was, And everybody would see that for the rest of my life. Like, I love that. It was moment. great. The, fu- so the funniest great. part of, of that whole, oh, that just shows Ohio State thugs, the whole, the whole yeah. funniest part of that argument is that it wouldn't have happened without the thuggery of Michigan players jumping Dontre <laughs> right. Wilson. Exactly, right. <laughs> And that's what started the whole fracas. So the cognitive dissonance that Michigan fans have for many, many things, but especially the decorum of their football team is, it's pretty irritating. Oh, Michigan, so Marcus man, Hall, Michigan man. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, so Marcus Hall, I salute you with my own double bird, my triumphant double yes, bird. Yes. As we both point it towards Ann Arbor this weekend, I predict a billion to one. Uh, we're going to win. Um, I don't know where they get that one point. Maybe they'll just put it up there out of pity. 
<laughs> I need I need the shirt with the Marcus Hall uh, double bird being the H N O H I O. That's what I need. Yeah. Yeah. It's glorious. And that's how we feel. And look, Michigan sucks. All right. So until next week, I'm John Aginner. I'm Michael Citro.